Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. It's a Hall of Fame edition of Mox on the Mic. This week, we visit with one of the newest members of the UTC Hall of Fame, Greg Andrews. Greg has an amazing story to tell, not just of his playing days with the basketball team at UTC, but also what it was like being the first African-American student-athlete in UTC history. Greg Andrews shares his stories now on Mox on the Mic. Well, start from the beginning. When did you develop a love for basketball? Where did that come about? Well, growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, basketball was just a part of activity. I mean, we played where we put up old peach baskets and put had a ball, not a basketball, but had a ball that we used to play with and everything and shooting into the peach baskets on the telephone pole. And as I started, continued to grow, got into high school, uh, at that point, basketball became serious. I went out for my freshman team at, uh, at Holmes High School, and it's kind of ironic, I was the 13th man on a 15-man team. <laughs> so <laughs> after completing my freshman year and realized that I needed to do something, uh, that summer I literally played basketball every day from about 9 o'clock till about seven o'clock every day. And my mom used to say, you need to come home and eat sometimes. But I played and I played. And I, the players that, that I was able to play with during that time frame uh, were remarkable. Uh, most of them were college players. Most of them were just phenomenal guys and I just just gained so much ability and insight to the point where before the summer was over I was always one of those guys yeah Greg's over there getting he plays okay and that's how I that's when I began getting serious I went back to school in the fall and I started our JV team, and the coach then elevated me to play with the varsity. So I was about the seventh, eighth guy on the varsity, which was great as a sophomore. And about midway to the season, I was starting varsity. So that was the beginning of my tale. And from that point, I guess I just continued playing and I had this insight that one, if I was going to go to college, and I did have aspirations to college because when I started my freshman year, the courses I was taking was college prep courses. Everybody wondered, you must be crazy, you know, especially in my neighborhood, to be taking college prep courses, biology, chemistry, and physics, and, you know, all the analytical maths and stuff like that. And, and I was a weirdo. 
I was just out there in left field because uh, I was doing things that nobody else expected me to do. And, and high school continued on that. You know, I played really well, got a few accolades being on the all-region team and uh, things like that. But by the time I was a senior, uh, I had a few offers for schools in the uh, far west, Montana, <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> I had a few of those schools to send me letters and asked about and everything. But it was really ironic because Coach Ford, Leon Ford, came up to Cincinnati and my high school coach called me and said, Greg, I got this coach that's coming in on Saturday morning. No, he, I got this coach that's coming in, and he'd like to see you and a bunch of other players in the area uh, see how you play. Okay, that's fine. You know, so I had to scramble, find a ride to Boone County High School, which is about 15 miles from where I lived. <laughs> Public transportation didn't go out that far. So I managed to get out there. And when I got there, believe it or not, I was there. Dale Overman was there. Now, Dale Overman was one of my contemporaries. He played with Covington Catholic. And so we were old rivals. So we got there and we started playing and you know, the coaches watching us, and I had a phenomenal day. I mean, I could do nothing wrong. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we finished the day and everything, and he kind of pulled me to the side and says, uh, how would you like to come to Chattanooga? <laughs> I'd go anywhere at this point because, you know, one, it's a scholarship, and it's a means of me continuing my education because as I said, from my neighborhood, I was an anomaly. So, you know, he called me or he said, I tell you what, come down and visit and take a look at it and see what you like about it. Gave me a train ticket and I went down there and was met by David Bryan and David, the consummate, uh, host of, of anything, if you know David, and he just smoothed me over, got me in, told me about Chattanooga and everything, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, it sounds like, yeah, I'll, I'll come down here to play. Uh, so then I had to, I, I had to take my ACT because I hadn't as of that point, and the next scheduled date was sometime in May or June. So I had to scramble, take my ACT test, and during that time that I'm waiting on pins and needles for my ACT, the heat of Vietnam, remember 1967, draft notes sent me about three draft notes, year to report two. And I kind of said, hey, I'm you know, I have plans to go to college. I'm waiting now on this score. He says, we'll give you a deferment for now. And 
They did. They gave me three months. They said, if you have not done anything or registered in three months, this is where you're going to report to. So it was like, college? Oh, Vietnam. <laughs> so it, it worked out fine. My scores came in. The university accepted me because my high school grades were pretty good. I mean, you know, they weren't bad. In fact, they were very good. <laughs> and I went, you know, I got accepted. Uh, I notified Coach Ford and everything. He said, fine, when you, you know, when you come, we'll meet you and get you into the university. So that was the beginning of it. Uh, I took a train again to Chattanooga. And, you know, and it's, believe it or not, it was the second time I had ever been on a train outside of Kentucky. So I'm one of these homegrown young men that just happened to get away from the neighborhood uh, and started my new career at Chattanooga. Did you realize you were breaking new ground? Oh, Coach Ford, he as one he was one to me, a wonderful individual. Uh, he put everything on the line, told me, Greg, you will be the first black athlete on athletic scholarship at the university. How, what do you think about that? I said, it's a challenge. I'm a maverick. Let's do it. And he kind of just smiled. And in all reality, he kind of saw this uniqueness in me that he knew that I would fit into that program, into that challenge without any problems. Uh, easy to get along with, blended in with my peers without any question. And they really couldn't be anything but loving towards me because of who I am. And it just, it worked out just super. I mean, you know, I was a freshman. I had some hard time because I was a freshman. Not because I was black, because I was a freshman. <laughs> and believe me, not only I, but Tom Lodge and Dale Overman went through the same thing. In fact, we were like peas in a pod. I mean, you know, we kind of huddled to each other. There was, there was some more freshmen, but none of them survived the four years as Tom, Dale, and I. Uh, and we're still very close. We are still very close. In fact, they will be at the dinner and everything uh, today. But uh, that was it. I mean, you know, I came into the situation wide-eyed, understanding what was happening. And, and during that period of time, you know, I understood what was going on. I understood the transition of the mindset of people. And even when I played, I encountered a lot of a ratio and things like that. But hey, I'm playing basketball, you know, and my means of getting back at those was play better, play harder, 
uh, and let them know that I'm as human as you are. And it worked out. It worked out. And I always had the support of my teammates. I mean, one example. We playing ball in Alabama, and I can't think of the school that we were playing at, but we, Coach Ford was going to, uh, no, we were on kind of a break, and we had to eat dinner, so he gave us a little bit of time to kind of walk around. And one of the guys said, hey, there's a pool hall. Let's go to the pool hall. Like, yeah, okay, we got a little bit of time. We walked in the pool hall, everybody kind of first, and the guy that just said, you can't come in here. And I said, excuse me? He said, we don't want you in here. Didn't call me any names, but just the fact that he didn't want me in here. And Harold Corden, Dave Bryan, and all the, the big forwards and centers that we had at the time kind of said, what? And I said, no, guys. <laughs> and then everybody on the team just turned around and walked out. And it was like, Boy, I'm glad you guys are bigger than me. <laughs> I love this. So we left. And, you know, and that that kind of situation, that was the only situation like that that occurred, but it also solidified the fact of this we're a team. And what one guy does, everybody does. So, you know, it's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Because I'm able to... And nothing else changed the attitude of, you know, 10 guys. And from those 10 guys, maybe they can change the attitude of 10 more. And continue to, to play ball and to do the things that I know that I needed to do in order to be successful. Says a lot about you. Says a lot about your teammates, too. It sounds like, sounds like you were accepted right from the start. <laughs> Understatement. That is true. Like I said, the only thing that was different was I was a freshman. You know, and it was like, you're a freshman, you don't know anything. And because I was in a group of other freshmen, which were so open, so like-minded, we all knew that, one, we had to survive. And not anything other than the upperclassmen on the basketball team. We had to survive, so we stuck together. And we had a remarkable freshman class. As I said, when you think of Tom Losh, it's already in the Hall of Fame, Dale Overman, uh, there was a young forward from, oh, North, I mean, east of Knoxville, his name was Kenny, and I can't think of his last name right now. But we had such a good freshman team that during the Blue Gold game, which is the varsity freshman team, we were playing them, we were playing them heads up the first half. And Huck Smith got us in there and he sat us down. He said, You guys you guys are really playing well and everything. What do you want to do? 
And we kind of looked at each other. What do you mean? What do you? He said, I've been holding you guys back. He said, do you want to play? And we looked at each other and said, yeah, let's go, let us do it. And we went out there and we trampled the varsity. <laughs> we, we, I mean, it's just, everybody was just in total shock that these freshmen were killing the varsity. And we, I mean, we were like a bunch of racehorses. I mean, thoroughbreds, we were just, they could not keep up with us. And unfortunately, when we finished that game, we won. The next day of practice was hell. <laughs> <laughs> See, we didn't think past that point. <laughs> I mean, I have never gone through a hell week as we did after we won that game. And it wasn't so much as to us, it was to the team because the varsity fell short and we were just part of that <laughs> that whole team. And we did, I mean, you know, we, we really paid the price. But on the other hand, after that game, Tom Lodge, Myself and Dale Omer were playing varsity during the next series of games. And it was like, well, I guess something good did come out of that. <laughs> and we never looked back. We never looked back. We, uh, we kept doing the things that were best. We had a couple very good years with David. Then we fell short the next year. Had another good year. Not really good, but my senior year, we had a phenomenal year, and I thought we were going to get invited to the NCAA small college at the time. And we just fell short by uh, the NCAA picking Louisiana Tech or something like that. But we had something like four or five teams in the top ten in the small college in our region. So. We were we were still satisfied with the fact that we were eighteen five, and that hasn't happened at Chattanooga for a long time. <laughs> but then again, it set the pattern for team that followed us because, you know, a few years later, they won small college NCAA title, and it's like ah, we started the groundwork on on a program at Chattanooga that has been phenomenal. You come here in 1967. What was Chattanooga like in 1967? A big country town. <laughs> it was. It was like a big country town. Uh, the university was probably a third of what it is now, expansion-wise, uh, because the newest dorm was the women's dorm right off of Macaulay Avenue. And that was the extent of where the university property line or was. And then going back towards town, it was one or two street, not even to Douglas. Uh, and we, the university extended probably all the way to where the old T 
tennis center or the tennis courts were, uh, and that was it. It was. It, I think the population of the school was something like six to eight thousand, something like that. So it was, you know, small town USA. <laughs> Now, had McClellan Gym been built by that point, by the time you got here? Yes. In fact, it had just opened. That's what I thought. It had just opened, and we were just amazed because they just show us where they used to play <laughs> up on the hill behind, uh, what was the? It was, was across from Chamberlain Field, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a big thing. I mean, McClellan Gymnasium and... Oh, we were all excited, and we thought that was a fantastic place to play. What do you remember about it? What do you remember about playing in there? What I remember most was just the students that rallied around our team because the year prior to me starting, I think they were eight and fourteen or something like that. They had had they had had losing seasons probably for the last four or five years. In fact, probably for Coach Ford was at that point where you got to do something, or you know we had changed coaches or whatever. But uh, he brought in a great. I wouldn't say he brought in a routine uh, recruiting crew that not only changed the athletic ability, but it changed the mindset of the team. Uh, because they had guys on the team that really didn't, they were there because, oh, I got a scholarship or whatever, but they they weren't into basketball, you know. and. Tom, Dale, and I were just hungry. We were hungry to the fact that we're in college. We're getting to play college-level basketball. You know, and that was just a, a fantastic thing for us because, you know, it's like, oh, man, this is great. And then having the recognition from the student body in the city. The city kind of accepted us as Oh man, Chattanooga is on the go, and and that's what we did. And we changed that attitude of uh, here's Chattanooga, they're going to lose again, you know. And we played hard, and we respected each other immensely. Uh, I can't tell you how how much just knowing these guys and what they have meant in my development from the time I first hit Chattanooga to, to now. You were aware of the barriers you were breaking when you got here as a, as a freshman, right? I mean, Not really. You you, did, did you understand the significance no. at 18 of what you were doing? <laughs> I understood that I had a four-year scholarship and I was able to do something that I loved. And the fact that 
I was breaking barriers or anything. I, that, that never really, that never really crossed my mind till later on during life when I realized, whoa, do you understand the path or the journey that you have taken? Do you understand the impact? Of, really didn't, but at 18, I, I knew it would be challenging. And as I said, I love challenges. You know, tell me that I can't do something and I will push with all my strength and all my effort to prove you wrong. You know, and again, I do in high school. They want to put me in wood shop. No. I want I want college prep. Oh, you can't take these courses. So, you know, but I'm taking them. So I took Latin, I took chemistry, I took physics, I took all the calculus and the math and everything, and I passed all of them, and I did well in them. It's like, you look back at those teachers that told you that, or that counselor that told you you need to be doing something because they were trying to put me in a category with my peers from my neighborhood, and that's understandable because none of them had the motivation to do any more than what they had to do to get out of high school. So what does it mean now, 50 plus years later? What does it mean to you now? What it means now is I can look back at my kids, my daughters, I have three daughters, fantastic women, one is a computer programmer in D.C. One is a GS-13 in the Department of uh, Fish and Games. And one is a manager in Memphis. And, you know, and then their children have just done remarkable things. And, you know, I've the youngest of my grandchildren is trying to get into Annapolis now. So you see, that's been something that they looked at and says, well, Papa does this. You know, that means at least I can try to do these things. And it's the motivation and knowing that their hands are not tied by color, by anything else, by gender. Uh, and it, and that's the motivation. And that's when I look back and see the things that I've done, and I sat down with them and told them how life was. How you know? Guess what? I used to sit at the uh, Woolworth counter when they were talking about uh, racial equality and civil rights and stuff like that. I did that when I was growing up, you know? It's like, and they look at me, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. But you know, to, for me, it was just a way of life. Uh, when uh, this notification for me being in the Hall of Fame, inducted into the Hall of Fame, one of my best friends I grew up in grade school, you know, I went to Chattanooga. He went to University of Kentucky. Uh, 
and we are really on opposite ends of the spectrum. He was a humanitarian. He was the, the guy who environmentalists and all this other stuff. I was a warlord. I went off, I went to college, I went to our army. <laughs> so we were on different ends of the spectrum. But when this, the notice came out and my brother sent him a copy of the notification from uh, the university and he posted it all on Facebook and all my friends from years and years, you know, it's like, oh, wow, you know. We didn't know you did all of this. You know, to me, it's like I'm just humbled by the fact that somebody saw something and <laughs> recognized that. Let's talk post-college now. Mm -hmm. The military got you eventually, right? Yeah, I spent 20 years in the Army. I was a, uh, went in as a lieutenant. I was in tanks which is started off in with the M60A1 tanks. I was a company commander in which I had 17 tanks responsible for me, responsible, and that was my own little army. Uh, we were self-sufficient in the sense of, I had my own supply, own mess hall, own maintenance shop. So, you know, we could go out to the field and survive on our own. And then periodically get resupplied by uh, my higher command, but it was just the hands-on and being that close to soldiers that I loved. And that, that's kind of like me. It's like, oh yeah, we could do this as a team. And we used to do some fantastic teams. As a company commander, I had Top Gun in the division that were, we went off to do tank gunnery and we had the highest qualifying scores in the 1st Infantry infantry Division while I was a commander there. And they used to send, they used to send inspectors down to try to figure out what I was doing. And it was like, you can't be doing all of this. And you know, it's like, come and, come and watch me, you know. And, uh, but my Army career, I loved it. I loved it. But again, you get caught up in the, when you become a field grade officer, you get caught up in the politics of the Army. <laughs> and, you know, I was a, I was a battalion XO of a M1 tank battalion, had a wonderful commander, uh, and I thought I had, as they say, hit all the gates you needed to do. Uh, and evidently, it was not, I didn't hit all the political gates. And unfortunately, I retired as a major when I should have retired, probably as lieutenant colonel or colonel. But I look back on it like, obviously, that was not part of my journey. And I have equated everything that I have done in the past as the journey which has been pre-selected for me. You know, I'm in a way very religious in a sense. Uh, and I know that everything that happens, happens for a reason. Uh, even when, <laughs> tell you a funny story. 
when I was a year before a year before I retired, Desert Storm started. I had about 12, 13 months before I retired, and I volunteered for Desert Storm. My mindset was, why practice for a game and never play in it? I knew I had the experience, I had the knowledge and everything to be helpful. So I was at the time at in New Jersey, in uh, at Fort Dix, New Jersey, sent my request into the Pentagon, released me from this command, I volunteered for Desert Storm. Immediate response, they sent me to Fort Hood, Texas. The unit that I was assigned to left a week before I got there. So they reassigned me as the deputy chemical officer for Third Corps. And that's the commanding corps of Fort Hood. Now, they had four combat divisions, a support command that they were shipping already to Saudi. We had literally, we had our stuff packed on the runway, ready to go. And they said, in three weeks, you guys will be shipping to take command of the Corps in Saudi Arabia. Well, again, politics steps in. They canceled our orders and sent the Seventh Corps out of Europe as commanding corps <laughs> for this storm. <laughs> and and the, the, the funny thing about it is everything that was on Fort, uh, Fort Hood was gone. The only thing that was left was the Corps headquarters. And so me and my infamous wisdom, okay, remember that's number two, all right? Me and my infamous wisdom had a friend up in the Pentagon said, Greg, got this great job for you. He said, we're developing liaison teams for all the allied forces like the Brits, the Saudis, uh, the Canadians, the French. We're going to have develop a team consisting of three Bradley fighting vehicles with communication gear, and you will be the one to talk with that lead, that allied force in the U.S. command. Hey, sounds wonderful. You know, I would have about, about 15, 20 uh, soldiers that were working with me as liaison personnel, and he said, okay, Greg, your name goes in. No problem. Went in, they six teams. I was the alternate. <laughs> and at that point, I, I literally, I looked up and said, it's obviously you don't want me here. <laughs> so I was like, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> and I spent my last year at Fort Hood working in the Operation Command Center. And what we did a lot of was communicate, 
between Desert Storm and the Pentagon. We, uh, we had the big screens and we had everything as a command center and translating or transmitting that information to the, uh, to the Pentagon. And I was uh, operation chief for that, for that uh, operation center. So it was like, okay, and then, you know, I retired and went back to Atlanta. <laughs> but it was, it was funny though. <laughs> Who you got with you this weekend? Oh, who meeting here? No, who who came with you? Your your oh, wife came. My I I'm here with my fiance and my brother. Um, he drove down from Cincinnati. Uh, my daughter, who lives in Atlanta, she will be coming with my granddaughter. In fact, she was on the road when. Uh, when I came here. So she'd get here and she would be there. So that would be my homegrown fan club. But then again, I've also known, heard from Tom, from Dale, from David Bryan, <laughs> and about five or six other people to, uh, who want to be here or who will be here. In fact, when I talk with Jay, Jay said, you know, Greg, there's so many guys that want to sit at your table. I'm not going to have room. <laughs> so I figured there will be a few guys. And and I have also, I have also met and known a lot a lot of the basketball players who came after me, and uh, some of them may be here too. So it's going to be an interesting, exciting weekend. When the phone rang and you saw that four two three area code and it's. It's Mark Wharton. Where were you? What was your reaction when you got the call? Well, being retired, I was probably just getting out of bed. <laughs> but he called, and in fact, it was Jay who called. And, you know, he said, Greg, how you doing? You know, I just want to let you know that you've been inducted into the UTC Hall of Fame. And I, my kind of mouth just kind of dropped. I was truly, I was stunned, but more than anything, I was really humbled by the, by the honor. What does it mean? What does it mean to you this weekend? It means a life well lived. Congratulations. Welcome back. Glad you could be with us. Thank you. Thanks to Greg Andrews for joining us a true pioneer in Chattanooga athletics. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review Box on the Mic and make sure you tell a friend about us. For our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goforth. Join us again next week for Mox on the Mic. Until then, have a great week and go Mox. Thanks for listening to Mox on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll see you again soon.